Today is July 11th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestakom Aki Degots Nagotine Sigu. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south from the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. It, as it, um, something that I, I like to really emphasize, while it may not be Pride Month, it's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all folks to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, story of displacement, or how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, you won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, myself and my family. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties and lies today taught in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those that call themselves native Calgarians show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skins, so we've been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Kinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, is Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government. That's a social construct uh, created by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous two-spirit or the Indigenous uh, gay, lesbian, transgender, queer plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence and land theft. As a Dene woman who attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left home to travel to uh, these parties, conventions, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to continue to do. Reports to advocate for and attempt to work in these systems meant to harm me and my community. I can't say have a you know, great stampede knowing what my community is going through right now because of Christian-based drug policies, abstinence programming, private healthcare, 
and justice systems based on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on Indigenous peoples. Today, um, we found out about Frank Young of Red Earth. I've been mentioning him in every one of my podcasts since he's gone missing in April, and he has now been found and he has passed, and there was no Amber Alert. I think of them, I think of uh, all of the folks before me, and I hope we honor their lives by being open and honest. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen and your role in reconciliation. I honor the Blackfoot and the elders as the members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk my red road. I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide, yet I have a free book club, which is tonight, uh, podcasts and info on my social media for years, so I have many others. At this point, it is willful to be ignorant on these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today is super exciting. I love it when I have guests because then we can just talk, uh, you know, Indigenous person to Indigenous person. So um, you're Dene's sister now, you might not know it, but now I am. Uh, so I'd love for you to introduce yourself in your way, Jason, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, good morning. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited. I love uh, just kind of getting the message out in a lot of different mediums. And uh, I love uh, your, your opening there and just really bringing I think eye-opening to, to a lot of people, um, a lot of circles that I travel in and my professional, personal lives still just don't understand, you know, why the Indian doesn't just get over it on a lot of the issues. And so when, whenever I say, hey, just understand, just, you know, kind of do some reading or do some reflecting, uh, I hope that people do, really, I hope that they do. And I just think the more ways you can get the message out about reconciliation, about understanding more about our Indigenous um, history and how poor it was, and not just here in Canada. You, I'm sure you know as well as I do, all over the world, Indigenous cultures really were um, destroyed, for lack of a better word, uh, by colonialists, by uh, you know European settlers and, and traders and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, really, really is an unfortunate uh, situation. So, but um, I think you and, and others uh, who are who are doing your work, I think it's I think it's much needed work, not just from Kind of the, the corporate aspect and we see there's a lot of that which i think is, is helpful but a lot of the grassroots too and a lot of that understanding and so the more i follow um more of my my relations on facebook and just see some other posts you see that there is still a lot of hurt there's still a lot of people who are trying to their best to get through trauma and, and to bring some healing uh to that trauma and uh if it happened a long time ago then you know, maybe that sentiment, like, hey, let's, let's move on, uh, might be helpful. And I know that has been in my life, just that, that sentiment of you can better yourself. And I, I'm probably sure a little bit more about that today. But um, when it keeps happening, 
right? When it when it keeps showing up, when we keep finding graves, when we keep seeing, uh, you know, systemic racism, we, when we keep seeing, you know, stereotypical things take place, it just it just reminds you that the wounds are still there. They're still being inflicted. Not just the wounds are still fresh. They're not just being open. They're they're continually being inflicted. So I think it's I think it's important. And and where my perspective is, and what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm hoping that I'm going to be bringing some real solutions uh, to people's situations. And so my name is Jason Johnson. I live here in Calgary with uh, my beautiful wife and my, our three beautiful girls. Right now, I am a, uh, well, we have been uh, members of the Begunny Nation, which is uh, part of the Blackfoot uh, Confederacy. We are in uh, really straddle the town of Brockett, if anybody uh, knows where that is, just west of Oh boy, Lethbridge, west of Fort McLeod, uh, just before Pincher Creek on Highway Number Three. So that's my territory, if you will. And um, when I was born, my mom and dad. <clears throat> so my father's uh, name was George Weaselbear, mm. and in Blackwood, that's Apachiayo, is how we pronounce that. Uh, but uh, George Weaselbear, uh, him and my mom, uh, they had a significant trauma. My mom is uh, primarily German uh, descent, and I'm sure, like most Canadians. A real Heinz 57 of a lot of other, um, I'm assuming, uh, European. We've never done the, um, uh, what's that, DNA testing or whatever you can find out your, your roots. So I don't think my family's ever done that. But uh, my mom's uh, half German, but then I'm sure a, a wide variety of, of European mix. And my father was full-blooded Blackfoot. And uh, he came with trauma from residential school. My mom came with trauma from, I hate to say it, my grandpa was a horrible, horrible person. Uh, my, my grandpa on my mom's side and inflicted a lot of abuse <clears throat> to all of his children. And so you have these two dysfunctional folks coming together um, and they, they could have moved on, like they could have sought help and got counseling and, but you have to appreciate this is the 60s where stuff like that probably didn't happen all that much. And so two dysfunctional people coming together, it just, it just didn't last. And so they separated uh, when I was very little, uh, I was born in 1970. And so they separated when I was very little and then eventually uh, divorced, I think in the late 78 or 79. So dad moved back to the reserve and he stayed on the reserve. And my mom lived here in Calgary. And so my mom with very little education, four kids, we grew up on, on welfare. And so a lot of poverty, a lot of dysfunction. Uh, there was what, what I'm describing as neglect. And so <clears throat> as I uh, began to work through my own trauma and experiences and even just over those last year have begun to go wow maybe my childhood was a little more traumatic than I really gave it credit and sure. some of the issues that I'm facing today are, even as a 51 year old yeah. uh you know still harking back now I'm not pointing the finger I'm not saying hey my mom was this or my dad was that I'm not saying anything that uh, this, this is my stuff that I need to work through yeah. and so that's a little bit of my background was uh you know, dealing with some of that, uh, growing up in the 70s and the 80s, uh, did face, unfortunately, you know, racist slurs and, and even from family and, and so-called friends, there was always this, you know, you're, a, you're an Indian uh, kind of thing. And so um, I never really felt in a lot of ways like a second class citizen, uh, but I definitely felt different uh, than others now. And so, but, but my journey really was um, to, to be a part of the church, I'll be honest. I uh, became a Christian in 87 and then felt uh, that I needed to, felt called into the ministry. And so I went, got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. I was an ordained minister. And part of that journey <clears throat> was in my early 30s, I just took a look around and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the place that I want to be in life, uh, whether it was relational, whether it was financial, just even stability. I'm not in a place 
that I want to be. I wasn't comparing myself to other people. I wasn't, oh, I want to keep sure. up with the Joneses kind of thing. It wasn't that. It was just more in my own heart. I wanted these things and I wasn't getting them. But not only was I not getting them, I wasn't even on a trajectory to get those things. Sure. So it's not like, oh, Jason, just put a little bit more time in and then you'll be there. Like I was literally in a swirling eddy of just my own stuff. And so in my early 30s, I really did some deep diving into my own life, uh, found out you know, a little bit more of my past, um, began to understand a bit more of the trauma that I went through, uh, did, uh, really dived into my, my, what, you know, my, my meta belief system, if you will. What mm -hmm. do I believe about myself? What do I believe about life? And uh, I know it sounds really cliche, but I, and I hate to say it, but it was, it was Tony Robbins. Like I went through his personal power stuff and it just, but it's more just that, that deep diving, like, what do you believe about life? And I saw that I had some, you know, beliefs that sabotaged me, that, that limited me, that really put a ceiling and a cap on, on who I was and where I was going to go and what I was going to achieve in life. And it is what he described as um, disempowering belief system. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really break free of all of that. And change my beliefs and this was a a multi you know year journey it was a multi-conversational journey as i spoke with family and friends and just speak into my life and so i was very open to, to hear from other people and, and to see you know who am i and what am i about and because i think i'm living like this but and that might be true but there is still some aspects of our own lives that that we don't that we don't see it's you know there's what other people know about me, but what I don't know about me. And so I asked people to really speak into my life. So it was a multi-year journey. And I was able, and I, and I changed those beliefs, but I think the key wasn't just changing those beliefs, but it was also making decisions now based on these new beliefs. Because mm -hmm. the, the temptation is to, to go back to the old ways, just go back to those old excuses, those old reasons, those old myths and those old beliefs, because, well, that's familiar. But when I was, began to make decisions new decisions based on my new belief system this is open territory this is untried i, I have no idea <clears throat> where i'm going to go and, and how things are going to end up but i'll be honest in my early 30s changing my beliefs it just made all the difference in the world and yeah, i think, I, I think done, to be fair like that there is something that happens <clears throat> in your 30s that kind of change your perspective on life too and i so just to be more cliche and 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 agree with what your journey was like Dr. Phil and Oprah were huge influences on me and my healing journey. I did go to counseling in my 20s. Um, I was dealing with some really hard pain that I couldn't really, like I didn't have the emotional <clears throat> capacity to explain. I didn't have the verbal capacity to explain. So, um, you know, it, I really felt, uh, you know, the Dr. Phil's, the Oprah's helped me put uh, words to the emotions I was feeling. Um, I did a lot of domestic violence, childhood <clears throat> domestic violence um, counseling through my 20s. And only now in my 40s am I even kind of capable of, of unpacking what racism and systemic racism actually is. And that's, yeah. so I'm healing too. I think uh, to be fair to what you were saying, this last year has really been eye-opening of how all of our, our relations have been dealing with this conversation about unmarked graves because as mad and as gaslit as I was about like we told you that this was happening that this happened and you wouldn't believe us until the last year at the end of the day it has given our communities and a time to really unpack this in a different way knowing we aren't yeah. going to be gaslit by society and such so you know like I, I just want to like 
really value what you're saying. And I know Tony Robbins was really impactful in a, on a lot of people. So, you know, don't feel too cliche because I think we're all growing up <laughs> in this society together. Yeah. <laughs> I guess when I say cliche, just I, I know that yeah. he's helped, uh, you know, I'm sure untold millions of people. And, yeah. and even though, even though I was in the church and you know, into the Bible and all that kind of stuff, you would think, well, maybe, you know, you would find that, that healing there and that, that real transformation there. And maybe I could have, but just, <clears throat> Where I was at at the time, this Tony Robbins just really seemed to, to hit it for me. So I guess I guess at the point, and and, and you bring up uh, Dr. Phil, and and I, I I'm just drawing a blank on the book that I read by him, but but he said that your life is your responsibility. It always has been, and it always will be. And so that what that that really hit me hard because yeah, sure, a lot of things were done to me. There's no question. Sure. And as a result, there's a lot of things that I did to myself, right? that no question i can trace back and go yeah well it was that person it was that event it was that experience it was that word it was that school it was this group or whatever yeah and you're absolutely correct it was but what are you doing with your life in return in response and that's yeah. what uh, there's that old adage that says it's not what happens to you that's important but it's what you do with what happens to you and i i just had to take that ownership and go you're right uh this yes. this, this 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 but my life is still my responsibility and i'm not dismissing the pain or the trauma or the hurt i'm not you know just forgetting and, and forgiving kind of thing um but i'm just saying i'm i don't know what i can say maybe when you edit this out but as my auntie would say we need to own our own shit yeah. and i'm going to deal with that and i'm going to work it through i'm not going to point the finger now i did there's no question i still went to those old ways a lot of it uh, but I, I, I try not to do that anymore. I try to just say, nope, this is me. I forgot it. I neglected it. I should have done that. And I messed up. Most yeah. of us like to hide behind reasons and excuses and, and pass it off. So I guess the big picture story is that I know what it's like to you know, be raised, if you will, in trauma, uh, experience that, develop real myths and misunderstandings about life but then they would be able to break out of that yeah right so i know that had i not i really believe that had i not had that life-changing experience in my early 30s and by the way in my 40s and in my 50s i had to reinvent myself again and maybe sure. or i'm going to talk about that great well, that I, i'm sure great. had it <laughs> had it not been for that experience in my 30s i know I, I deeply know that i would still be single still be living in a one-bedroom apartment still be you know eyeball in debt and had you know would have really in a lot of ways, nothing to show for my life and nothing to pass off to, to the next generation. Like it just, it changed my life, changed my perspective, changed my beliefs has absolutely made the difference in, in my life and in my trajectory as to where I was going. And again, it wasn't just that I changed my beliefs, but I was now making decisions based on those new beliefs and trying to chart really a new way forward, which was literally uncharted. And so so today where, where I'm at and really what I want to share with is I'm a, a licensed realtor here in Calgary with Coldwell Banker Mountain Central. And as I just begin to look around and just see, okay, what's, what's my, let's say, unique offering uh, to, to, to homeowners, to, to folks who might be looking to buy or sell or invest in real estate. And I just looked around and went, I wonder if anybody is representing the indigenous uh, culture community because uh, we, I just sold a home uh, of a certain ethnicity and their realtor was of the same ethnicity 
And so it seems like if you're if you're Chinese, well, you're going to look for a Chinese realtor. If you're Korean, you're going to look for a Korean realtor. It just it just makes sense. I mean, people feel free, and maybe there's a language issue or whatever. But I just feel a little more comfortable to to work with folks, uh, you know, in, in my same in my same tribe, as it were. Sure. And so I began to look around and go, "Hey, who is anybody representing the indigenous community? Because maybe that's an area where I could serve." And um, looked around, looked around. I, I, I don't know of anybody who's really doing it. I spoke to my broker, just a fantastic guy. And I said, Rob, is anybody representing the indigenous, you know, culture community in, in this, in, in home ownership? And he said, you know, he's an, he's an experienced realtor, experienced broker. He's, you know, 25, 30 years experience. He said, I've never even heard of that. I've never even heard of it, that somebody is representing this, this community. And he said, well, maybe talk to my friend who is a, one of the top, uh, indigenous uh, engagement consultants in Alberta. And so I spoke with him and I said, hey, here's my notion, here's my idea. What, what can I do? Who can I talk to? And he said the exact same thing. I, I don't even know of anybody uh, who's really kind of stepping into that gap, as they say, and saying, again, you're, you're, you're Chinese, you're going to look for a Chinese realtor. If you're, you know, certain ethnicity, you're going to look for that. Well, okay, if you're native, well, who do you go to? And mm -hmm. it seemed like it seemed there's, there's nobody. And so as I dug a little bit deeper into it, I begin to, began to see, now this is not, I'm not a statistician. This is what I would describe as, as anecdotal evidence. Yeah. But it seems like there's a big disparity between the indigenous, what I'm calling successful and, and responsible home ownership, yeah. and the non-indigenous successful and, and responsible home ownership. It just seems like more non-indigenous people buy and sell homes and invest in real estate than indigenous people. Yeah. And I began to dig into that. And I found a lot of the real estate boards and, and CMHC housing. I, I called Macy uh, housing. I called other native housing, uh, you know, groups and individuals. And they just literally said, there's just no data on that. There's no data sets on. Now, there's no data sets on cultures anyway. Like, oh, here's how many Chinese and here's how many Ukrainians are Polish. Like, there's no data sets on any of that. Yeah. But they did begin to see that there is definitely a disparity between uh, the indigenous and non-indigenous home buying. Yeah. And so I just think, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's an area here, but also we get to say, well, maybe there's a reason like why, why aren't we, you know, buying and selling homes? Why aren't we investing in real estate? And so here in Alberta, um, we have a population of over 4 million people. There's 6.5% of Albertans are uh, Indigenous. It's Native, Inuit, or Métis. Half of those folks who grew up, and you were born on the res, leave. And so I, I don't know what that exact numbers are, but probably 100,000 folks have left their nation yeah. and they've gone into the, to the urban centers. Yeah. And so whether you're on reserve or off reserve, there really is a housing crisis. And this has been shown uh, all across Canada. Now, probably not every reserve and every family has a, a housing crisis, but I'm, I can pretty much guarantee everybody knows somebody who, who was in a, a housing crisis or has a family member in a housing crisis. So if you're living on the reserve, the crisis is mold, black mold, um, shoddy craftsmanship, you know, I, and I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, how you get a home and how chief and council work with that, but it sounds like there's a lot of frustration yes. uh, with that process. Uh, there's overcrowding, uh, there's water, there's sewer septic. And so there's a lot of issues. I was speaking with one lady actually from Begunny and she said she had to move in with her, her mom. Her mom's house was literally two mobile trailers that they, put together, you know, cut the wall out and 
away it goes. So the doors leak, the roof leaks, so the windows, if you can imagine, minus 40 winds, what just howls through it. I, I read another report that there was, you know, 13 people living in a home of, of, of five bedrooms. Because while well, my house isn't well, so I need to move in with, you know, my, my mom and dad or my, my children. And, you know, uh, I spoke with another person. They said, well, there was mold growing, black mold yeah. growing in their home, which causes all kinds of uh, lung problems. It causes, uh, it really poisons you, you know, joint inflammation. All kinds of, they just kept painting over uh, the black mold because they didn't know how to re remediate it. And so there's really is a housing crisis uh, on our First Nations. And I'm sure you, maybe you've already uh, covered that. I'm sure you know better than I do about that. But even off reserve, uh, there's a housing crisis. So, hey, you got to come up with damage deposit, which is usually a full month's rent amount. You got to come up with a first month's down payment. And you have to come up with or the last, first month's rent and the last month's rent. So now all of a sudden, you may be you know, $3,000 deep before you even move in. Yeah. Uh, there's a shortage of housing for folks. Yeah. There's often very shady uh, landlords. And that's for everybody. It's not just Indigenous people, but everybody, I'm sure, experiences shady landlords. Um, you, you can't practice your, your, your cultural your practices. I, I read another report where uh, a person wanted to smudge in their apartment. Well, you can't smudge in your apartment because nobody wants to deal with the smell or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So there still is a, um, you know, a housing crisis for folks moving off the reserve going well, where can I live? And, and oftentimes you have to move into, you know, very shady neighborhoods because that's, that's all you can afford. And I remember me growing up, you know, mom on welfare, if the landlord raised the rent by, I'm sure, 50 bucks, well, that, made, that was the make or break. We had to move. Yeah. And so in, in 13, just about 14 years of living in Calgary in the 70s, I think we moved like six or seven times. So every couple of years we were moving. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's something that probably everybody experiences and, and, and unfortunately may continue to experience. So I just began to go, you know, the, the benefits though to, to home ownership, not renting uh, or, you know, living on the reserve. Another problem with, with living on the reserve is, you know, when it comes to home ownership is that there is no equity there. You can't now, oh, I'm going to, I was living here for 40 years or whatever, now I'm going to sell this home and, you know, have a nice little nest egg. And that's part of our retirement strategy is we, we, we own our home. And so that'll be, you know, if we want to retire, which feel is speeding up toward that day, um, that is part of our investment portfolio when it comes to, to retirement, but you don't have that on the reserve because it's reserved because it's what's called non-titled property. You can't own that property. Uh, you can't sell it and, you know, whatever. So, so I, I just began to sit back and go, but, but there are incredible benefits to own home ownership. And I'm not sure if you guys own your own home at all or not, but some of the benefits are things like stability. Well, I'm not moving around all the time anymore because this is my own home. Security. There's, there's no shady landlord. No one's going to bump up the rent on me. No one's going to go and sell this property on me because it's, it's mine. I can do whatever I want. Uh, there's, there's peace of mind knowing that this is, this is my house. I'm going to invest in my own personal property. And um, obviously, you know, when it comes to a retirement strategy. So there's some incredible benefits to home ownership. And I, I think, and, I, and I'm putting forward, that owning your own home solves almost every issue with the housing crisis on the reserve and the housing crisis off the reserve because hey i'm not going to buy a house that has black mold or a shoddy craftsmanship i'm going to get a home inspection and they're going to tell me all of the issues and i'm going to make the decision whether or not i'm going to buy that place. Mm -hmm. so there was a, a reserve up in edmonton um and they had a massive payout and so some of the families said you know what we're going to actually we're going to buy a house we're going to pool our money and we're going to buy a house but they, they bought it outright for for cash so nice. 
no credit checks, no mortgage, no finance, no nothing. They just bought it. But actually, you just is, touched like, on a lot of the barriers. Uh, right there, you just said a lot of the barriers <laughs> that I think a lot of people don't recognize. And it is that credit check. And it is, um, you know, trying to get the bank to give that go ahead. That's a huge barrier for us. So I, I think, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And I, uh, yeah, I want to talk about that too, because yeah, I'll talk about that. But the, the story is these folks, they, they bought this house, they moved into it, found out it was falling apart. It was dilapidated, all that kind of stuff. And so their, their only recourse was to go back. They went back to the chief and council and said, hey, is there anything you can do? And they went, well, you, you bought this of your own. This isn't on our territory. Like literally, not that we're not going to help. I'm sure, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the rest of the story, but it's really not our responsibility. You're the one who bought that. So, yeah. you know, what do you do? But the problem is, is that I don't know if the realtor was, oh, sweet, a quick buy. I'm going to get some good commission here. Uh, maybe they skip the step of, of the home inspection. And I think what a lot of First Nations folks don't understand is, is that when you go to buy or sell your home, you are absolutely in the driver's seat and everything is contractual. So if they went to that realtor and they said, oh yeah, get into this because it's a really good house. And they got my, you know, my buddy Bob to come in to do the home inspection and gave you the AOK, dude, you can sell them. You can sue them. Like this is absolutely... You can, you can go to board, you can go to what's called RECA, the Real Estate Council of Alberta, and go, hey, I want to file a complaint against uh, Joe Blow Realty here because they got us into the home and, you know, they missed some of the steps. You absolutely have recourse, but a lot of our folks, I don't think, know that or understand that. Mm -hmm. So, but what coming back to my point, I guess, is that a lot of the problems of the housing crisis are solved when you own your own home. Yeah. Because you want to smudge? Dude, it's your own home. You can smudge all you want to. You want to erect a teepee in the back of your house? You can put up a teepee. You want to have your friends over? As so long as between the hours of 7 a.m. and 10 p.m., and you can drum to your heart's content. You can dance all you want to. You can do whatever you want because it's your home. Yeah. And this is your place. Um, and you've carved out this little bit of territory for yourself and your family friends. Overcrowding? You know what? You can put a couple extra bedrooms in your basement. Getting the proper permits, of course. Okay. Um, you can do you can do all those things. And so, in in my humble opinion home ownership solves almost every one of those uh, crises that the first nations folks face now if you live off the reserve uh, the problem is of course you're, you're losing touch with your, your roots yeah right you're, you're probably losing touch with your roots may lose touch with your family may lose touch with your you know languages and cultural practices it's hard to come for me you know to come from calgary down to begunny you know, um, we don't make it down all that often. I, I never grew up uh, on, the, on the nation territory. Like I said, my mom and dad were divorced. My dad moved back to Dubigani, which was Pagan band back then. Um, and we stay here in Calgary. So I've never really been super in touch with my roots, but, I'm, but I am learning and growing and stuff like that. So, so there is that problem. Now, you know, multi-generations living in the same home, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's always good. No. I always say, hey, the, the more people I have speaking into my kids' lives, the better, you know, and especially hopefully if those are, you know, family and stuff like that. So you do, there are some issues if you do move off the reserve yeah. and you get home. So, but I think, I think the rewards far outweigh the risk, uh, the pros far outweigh the cons. So mm -hmm. that's, so part of the message I want to get across is if you are, which again, half of people who are born on, on the nation, they leave and they try to go into the urban centers, right? As soon as you can get into the market, the better. And I'm going to talk about that. So that's that's the one issue. But if you look on the reserve, you know what are your what are your um, options there? Well, you, you can't buy your own home. 
And I think that, so my uncle, Eric Crochu, uh, he invested his own money in his house. I think he said he spent $30,000 renovating his own house. He didn't sit back and wait for a chief and counsel. Again, I'm ignorant of that whole process and I'm, I'm following up with Lance this week to say, how does this all happen? Because I want to be informed. But he invested in his own, in his own house. Yeah. But it, it wasn't his own house. It was, you know, he made it more livable for the amount of time that he can be there, but he's not going to get a return on that, on that mm-hmm. dollar. Um, but what are you reporting? But there's nothing that would stop any of my family from investing in real estate, right? Buying something in Pinchy buying something in Lethbridge, buying something in Calgary, going, hey, I, I bought this little house. I live on the reserve because I want to be out here. Uh, but I bought this place, you know, so now you're the, you're the renter. You're the one who's going to be a, a responsible renter, right? You're going to be signing the contracts and collecting rent and, and really building equity for yourself uh, down the road too. So there is, there is an option of, of real estate when you do live on the reserve. And I'm, I'm just talking with a couple from Sixica, uh, just east of Calgary, east of um, Strathmore, or the Galician area. And they're talking to me saying, we're going to buy a um, RTM or a ready-to-move house. We're going to buy it, and we're going to plunk it down uh, on our land. And I'm, I'm just looking at now, is, is that actually a viable option? Because you could sell that then. There is some, some equity there. Or I'm going to buy a mobile trailer. So I'm going to just, I'm going to follow up with lands and see if that's a viable option for our folks too. But so that's, that's my, that's my, I, I guess, message is, yes, there is a disparity. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, so for my, my, my wife, uh, she's Dutch. Her, her mom and dad came from Holland in 1970. They lived with his uncle for about a year. And within a couple of years, they bought their own home. I just spoke with a fellow uh, a couple of days ago. He came from uh, um, India and he was here for maybe a couple of years and bought his own home, right? I spoke to another fellow. Actually, I do, I do a lot of TV and film. I'm an actor as well. And so there's a fellow from El Salvador. I'm in, in his, his film and he owns, he owns a, a farm, 10 acre farm, uh, east of, actually east of a place called Sioma. I'm not sure if you know where Sioma is. I had to Google it, but anyway, because I was filming out there. But uh, it, was, it was only like six, seven months that he bought this house. And so I'm seeing like, like, why is it that you know, an immigrant can roll over and get into a home right away, but some of our folks will never own a home. Just, you know, my, my, my grandparents didn't, my parents didn't, I probably won't. Like, it just doesn't even seem to come up on the radar yeah. uh, for a lot of folks. And I think it's more, it's more that cyclical patterns, you know, no one's done it before. It's just like, you know, no one broke the four minute mile and then one person did. Now everybody's running the four, to run a four minute mile is actually slow. But before it just seemed this un- unbeatable, unbreakable barrier. And it just seems like I spoke with one professional and they said there just seems to be a mindset uh, with our folks that we, we just don't own homes. It's yeah. beyond our grasp. Now, I do spoke, speak with folks. Um, I'm, they're Black Bush. I'm, I'm sure they're my cousins somewhere along the way. Uh, and they do own a home. I spoke with one fellow. He owns a house. And we're hopefully going to be working with his son to get into a home. So it does happen, right? Like I own my own home. So it, it does happen, but it's just, again, the disparity between the indigenous and the non-indigenous successful home ownership just seems to be, it's pretty big. It seems for some reason, I don't know why our folks don't, but there is, there's a mindset there. I can't do it. Uh, it's too overwhelming. Uh, it's too complicated. I can't afford it. Um, someone's going to screw me. Someone's going to cheat me. You know, someone's going to take advantage of me. In fact, one of the comments on my Facebook post was, you know, yeah, I'd like to get into homeownership, but it's the interest. That's where they screw you. Yeah. And I went, well, almost everything you, you do, you, you have interest. So, and it's not like there's a, 
uh, you know, uh, an Indigenous interest and a, and a non-Indigenous interest. Oh, you're Korean? Oh, you're going to want to pay 1.3%. Oh, you're Blackfoot? Oh, we're going to charge you 50%. No, like everybody pays the exact same interest. And unfortunately, they do rise and, and hopefully they, they do lower. So there, there's definitely a mindset there that just, I think there's a lot of fear there, a lot of mistrust. And it's, it's a lot of it is probably warranted. You know, you know what? And I'll, because... I'll say this just to add to your point, though. Um, so for me to weigh in on this, I got to acknowledge <clears throat> some privilege. My dad was white. So I seen like what ownership was. Um, yeah. We did rent. Uh, we rented in Calgary. We rented in Fort McMurray. And then when we moved to Sylvan Lake, we bought. So they've been okay. there for 40 years. And uh, so I seen what a mortgage is and what, what it does. And that is an example that a lot of uh, Indigenous uh, brothers and sisters don't see. Point blank, yeah. that's privilege. Um, then I married a non-Native. So my non-Native husband, he ha also had parents who had a mortgage. And so we both seen the process through our parents, through lived experience that, okay, this is doable. This is something we should do. And then yeah. once we got into it, was um, it, it became very clear. We bought in 2005. And... Uh, then there was a boom in housing. Um, so, yeah. so we actually, our mortgage today is less than what most people are paying for rent. So when you oh, talked yeah. about yeah. that cycle of, you know, getting the down payment, getting the last payment and paying your, your uh, rent, that is a yeah. mortgage. So for our people yeah. who are listening, who might be inspired to try to get that mortgage, like I'm telling you, go get the mortgage, go do it. Yeah. If you can go do it. And, and the reason why is because um, you, these shady landlords that like raise the rent whenever they choose, you just totally bypass that. Um, we recently moved to Lethbridge. We were renting while we were there. And then my husband lost his job. So we came back to Calgary. And what we were doing in the meantime was investing in the house, painting it, um, getting the yeah. floors done and such. So that when we went to sell it, it was like ready to move in. And, um, and then when he lost his job, thank God, we still had the house when we came back. And um, so of course we're investing in our rentals that we had to do thinking we were moving, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's still cheaper than it is. And, and I agree, compound interest is a total racket. I hate it, don't agree with it, but it is the way of the, this um, you know, new Western economy that was imposed on our people. So you know, it's something that like it or not, that's, that's the way it works. Uh, but that said, let's also tell them, like, okay, you get a $30,000 settlement from um, atrocities that should have never happened to you. If you're already in a home, you can actually just put that on your, your mortgage as a one-time yeah. um, investment, and then you're paying that much less compound interest down the road. So, like, it really is worth it getting into a mortgage if you can. Yeah. Well, and, that, and this, that's exactly the case. So, if if your rent, let's say the average rent in Calgary was, let's say, 500 bucks a month, yeah. but the average mortgage was 18 dollars to donuts to make make sense to, to rent. But like, I'm just going around going, here's my mortgage and here's the rent. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I get a mortgage? So, so there there are some there are some strategies that our folks can can tap into. But I just I just honestly don't know if if our people uh, think about that. Have really investigated it. Like I said, there's a lot of I'm just I'm just calling it myth and misunderstanding about the whole home buying process. And that's where I'm sitting there going, 
I want to champion our people getting into their own homes, yes. finding all the benefits of it. And again, as I look around, I, I don't know if there's anybody doing that. I spoke with one lady a couple of weeks ago and, and she said, I was on LinkedIn and she said, I'm really glad I found you. She's an indigenous engagement consultant and she travels between BC and Alberta. And she said, I surfed reams of websites looking for an indigenous realtor. I've phoned people. Like I just, I don't know if there's anybody else that's out there. And so I'm, I'm happy if I, if I can to, to step into that gap to say, let's get you into a place. Let's get you into real estate. Let's get you investing. Let's get you, because it really does, it really does pay off down the road, right? So yeah. real estate, they say, is, is one of those things that it will just never, if you're looking to, to flip homes, you know, every other month, then yes, it might bite you on the ass. But if you're saying, nope, like for us, we've been in our home for seven years. Like I really don't expect to move, mm-hmm. you know, until I retire. So we will have been here for probably close to 20 years. But that investment is going to go up. That's all there is to it. It just, it just happens. Now, it might go up and, and bottom out a little bit, but when I retire, I'm expecting that this house is going to fetch us at least half a million dollars for our retirement portfolio. And it's not even a that glamorous of a house. So, so no, but that's, and that, especially, yeah, but, but it's our home. It's, it's yeah. like our, our kids grew up here. Like our, our daughter was two when she moved into this place, you know, so, and, and hopefully they will maybe come back and, and, and visit us, you know, I hope they never leave by all, but uh, they I know will. my 15 year old, I, I don't want her to ever leave either. And she's <laughs> having all these hopes and dreams. And I'm like, yes, you should definitely follow your hopes and dreams. So I'll cry here as your mom. <laughs> well, exactly. I know I'm going to need some counseling. You know, maybe we should have another podcast about what you do when your oldest child moves away, but move away, so. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, it, it, it will, and that, and it will, it will go up. Um, and it's just, it's one of those great in, investment tools that is there, and I, I, I said it was our home. I, I'm proud of our home. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to live here. I love looking after a lawn and fixing things up. And, you know, every year we go out and we get all the, the flowers and do all the plantings and stuff like that. So, yeah, but that's my message. I want to get across is, is that, you know, to our people, this is a good thing to do, yeah. um, for all of the benefits. Uh, that are there and so as I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm going to be running sound at the beginning uh, our Palo at the end of the month here and and just right now trying to carve out uh, a presentation time that I can begin putting this out to our people like here this it isn't that scary so so the, the general process is that if you want to get a mortgage um, you need a decent credit rating um, you do need a down payment. So you're going to need, if you're a first time home buyer, now I'm not a mortgage specialist, so by all means, just take this with a grain of salt, 5% down, right? And you're, and you're going to want some, some job stability. But it really, it, it, it seems like a hurdle like this, this big. And I just spoke with a woman uh, from, um, from one of our nations and she just said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in debt and, and you know, I don't have good credit and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, for me back in 2003, I was terrible with money. I cannot stress how horrible with money I was. I made bad decision after bad decision. And so in, in I think in September, October, 2003, I got a letter from a, a creditor from a collection agency saying, we're going to send the sheriff out to, to confiscate your truck to pay for your debt unless you get this figured out. And so I'm sitting there going, holy cow. So I talked to a, a friend of mine who's a mortgage broker. And I said, oh, I want to get this cleared up because, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to wreck my credit. And she said, oh, Jason, oh, Jason, if, you, if they're sending creditors after you, collect, you're 
I wouldn't worry about your credit. It, it's terrible. It's just, it's bad. And it was, it was terrible. So there's, there's bankruptcy level credit. And then, then, and then there was mine. So they were literally like, I was at near bankruptcy level credit. I, I don't think people even take cash from me at those days. That's how bad my credit was. So that was 2003. So that was a good slap upside the head. Started making better decisions. Started making wiser decisions. Paid my credit cards. Paid my phone bill, which a lot of people don't understand. Like your phone bill also affects your credit. And so, it, and and then in 2009, um, we went to buy our first home, and we got a mortgage based only on my credit rating. And so it doesn't take long to come back from horrible credit. Now my wife is phenomenal with money; has never had an issue. Even in her early 20s, she bought a car for 20 grand because she's so good with money. Her credit has never been an issue. Mine, always an issue. But it didn't take long. So, so to our people, yes, if you have bad credit or no credit, it, again, consult a financial expert. But in my experience, it's, it's not like it's a one and done story. You had this one missed payment and so now you're done forever. No, it's, you can come back from those. You just got to keep your nose clean. You've just got to keep making those payments, even the minimum payments. It's terrible to only pay the minimum balance or the minimum uh, payment required on your credit card. But if that's all you can afford, or if that's going to help get your credit back to par, then do it. I, it may only take a couple of years for you to get your credit, you know, up to a spot where, okay, it's, it's decent. It doesn't have to be like, you know, out of the, you know, out of the, out of this world. Because banks, banks want your business. They want to lend you money. Yeah. They just sit back and go, is Jason a good risk for us? And in their calculations, being Blackfoot doesn't even come into consideration. It's, it's just math. Yeah. Credit rating, you know, earning income. Can you service this debt? Great. Yeah. Hey, I'm Blackfoot. We don't care. We want, we want your business. We yeah. want to give you money. So and I think our, uh, maybe our people have been hosed uh, by, by banks or whatever. Uh, it's probably not unfamiliar for a lot of people. And whether you're, yeah. you know, what, whatever, whatever background, um, I'm, I'm sure people have faced that. So I, I don't want to dismiss that. But in general, um, banks, they, they, want, they want your business. And so I got a, a decent credit rating. Um, I got a, a, a decent paying job that, you know, as a household, we earn this much. Um, I can come up with a down payment. You don't have to come up with it on your own, but you can have investors. You can get whether it's private or, or, or public investors to say, hey, mom or dad, or hey, aunt and uncle, hey, cousin, you know, I want to buy this house. I need 5% down. It's a $100,000 home. So really, I only need $5,000 to come up with a down payment. Now you can come up with as much as you want as a down yeah. payment. Yeah. But really, 5000 to me, that seems pretty doable. Yes. Right. Even if you say, you know what, this is part of my two-year journey. Like, don't. And that's going to be my message uh, at beginning in a couple of weeks. Is, like, if if you want to buy a home today, fantastic. I'd love to help you buy a home. But if you're just sitting there going, "Wow, my mind is blown. I didn't even consider this." Jason, let's talk. I'm going to work on the next couple of years to to to, to get some, you know, to, to get better financing or to get uh, to get better credit rating, to get out of debt. This is my plan. You've opened my eyes. We're doing it. Then, then fantastic. Take a couple of years. Get things settled. It doesn't have to be like right now. I'm not there to sell you timeshares right now. Like if I never sell a home to our folks, yeah. that's fine with me. I just want to open up possibility, have some possibility of thinking to say, why not me? Like totally. why not the, why totally. the disparity between the digits? Like 
Let's yeah. see, you know what I mean? Like, why not have more successful and responsible indigenous landlords and homeowners and, and real estate investments and, and that kind of thing, right? So, so it, it really, you know, yeah, get, get credit rating. The banks really want to see if you can service the debt. I, I, I spoke with a friend of mine. Now, I'm not a mortgage specialist, so please don't, don't take this as, oh, Jason said that. But I spoke with a friend of mine, and, and he said, the banks didn't even look at my credit rating. They wondered, can you service this debt? That's all they looked at. Yeah. And so, again, talk to mortgage brokers. So, so get your finances in, in, in order, for sure, which is just good for all of us to do. None of us want to be running around with debt and bad credit. And, you know, my, my phone bill is, I got to switch phones again because I didn't pay the debt. Like, that's just, to me, that's just irresponsible. And yes, we can point the finger. But again, your life is your responsibility. So straighten up your finances. Do what you can to, to keep that job, to keep things going. If Begunny ever gets a payout, which I, I hope we do sometime for, for whatever, but it, it can bet that. Yeah, you could buy this nice car or, or do this thing or whatever, but that car is not going to give you a return on your investment like a home is going to be. So, so you can find private investors to say, hey, can you lend me $1,000 and I'll, I'll put you on the contract for sure. Or we'll do up our own contract that you know in two years or three years, I'm going to pay you back, but whatever. So, so you, you get the financing, you, you find a good realtor. Right here, Jason. Right here. <laughs> you, find a, you find a realtor, you find, a, you find an indigenous Blackfoot realtor, yeah. um, you know, that can help you. And, 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 and people have to really understand, like I said before, um, realtors, they have to be above board. They absolutely have to be above board. So the, the realtor has to lay out all the steps that are involved. And if they don't, you have legal recourse. You can go up and say, hey, Rika, which is a real estate council of Alberta. Hey, Kreb, the Calgary Real Estate Board. Or hey, Area, the Alberta Real Estate Association and say, Joe Blow Real Estate, they didn't do any of those things. I didn't sign a contract. They didn't go over the consumer relationships guide. They didn't advise me to get a home inspection. And now I'm landing with this house that is terrible. Man, they will go to bat for you. They, in the best way possible, they don't care if you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. Mm -hmm. This person did something illegal and unethical and unbusinesslike, and they need to be held accountable for that. And I don't think our people understand that. Yeah. But as a, as a responsible, ethical, moral, legal, uh, you know, uh, realtor, I have to work with you. I have to say what is in your best interest. Now, you're absolutely in the driver's seat. So if I say, oh, dude, this, this house has, is falling apart, uh, I, I, I think we should keep looking. You know, the home inspection report says it's falling apart. But if there's a homeowner or the potential homeowner says, no, man, like I've got my own contracting business, I'm going to fix it up. I see the potential. Then I would say, great. Give her. But I'm not going to come along and pressure somebody and say, oh, man, you need to get in this home uh, because I want to get my commission and skip off to the next person. Like, to me, that's a highly unethical realtor. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I obviously know a lot of folks in the, in the real estate business. And every single one, they're above board. Like, you, you have to be above board. You cannot be shady in any way, shape, or form. And I'm sure there are, and I know some, and they got absolutely wrist slapped uh, by these real estate boards. They got levied, they got, there was all kinds of financial issues they had to encounter. It affected their home buying process down the road. So none of us you know, want to yeah. uh, be the person that has to use our, we all, we, all, we all pay what's called real estate insurance. Like none of us wants to tap into that because well, you know, someone's suing you now because of this, this home you got them into. So let's be clear, so, you have a license, you have insurance, 
because yep. that is important. So like these are the <clears throat> your legal recourses for folks and as well as Absolutely. governing yeah. boards that you have legal yeah. recourse to. So like I just yeah. I want people to have watched this and feel empowered to consider a mortgage too and see their role in this. And and I I'm just gonna like go on a sidebar here. I talk a lot about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit because we're at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And a lot of, um, to me, violence would be solved by having some sort of financial um, uh, nest egg because, yeah. you know, you're dependent on possibly an abusive, violent person. And of course, you know, historically, we've put up with it way too long, whether it's from the state or whether from um you know intergenerational trauma all of these things that combine and it's like financial independence helps everybody everybody and especially if you're a yeah. woman especially if you're two-spirit so that, that that way you have your own independence and you know we talk about healthy relationships going on the healing journey all these things you know if you want to bring someone into your world it's a lot easier to do if you're not financially dependent on them so to me um this is a really important thing and and i'm thinking about this because i have a young girl i know you have two young girls these are the things that we want to empower three. Our, our three holy so we have four young three. girls right now <laughs> between the two of us that we want to empower so that when yeah. they move forward in this world you know we're i don't want another statistic ever no matter what gender no matter what yeah. i don't want another indigenous person being told anything bad, being felt second class or anything. And like you said, this the mortgage system does not care about your race. They care about whether or not you can pay them. That's all they care about. And I know our right. people are paying yeah. ridiculous amounts to landlords. Um, we, we do a lot of that um, going to those uh, pawn shops and such. And like, that's its own racket. <laughs> right and, and not okay and i'm just gonna <laughs> do a plug for joe cc here and allison uh Krim mcsweeney from the 12 uh or from uh 17th avenue here in forest lawn because they really worked hard at policy to crack down on those pawn shops but for our people you know rather than um investing and in being good in pawn shops like go to the bank go to jason so that that money has equity yeah. so that it moves forward in a good way yeah. Well, and, and even as you mentioned that, so I, just remind me, because I do want to talk about that, that mindset, that cap as well. Yeah. But in our experience, and this is just a little tip, I think, um, I like using a mortgage broker because a mortgage broker doesn't work for any one financial institution, but they will, again, these are people, these are professionals that will work on your behalf and they will try and find the best uh, interest rate possible. So they will go between all these institutions and go, okay, you offered them this okay let me take that now we're going to go to this institution and say hey they offered them this what are you going to offer me and they will work absolutely hard on your behalf and they will to their ability uh, i think try and work with you on your finances to go let's 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 paint the best you know let's give the best narrative that we can about your finances and your stability and where you're going because they will they want to build a case for you if you just walked into you know, XYZ bank and said, hey, I want to get a mortgage, they're, they're probably not going to hunt around for you. They're, they're probably going to go, oh, see, because they want to make as much money off of you as they can. So, and, and there is some flex there. So the first couple of, um, so we, we, we bought a home and then we, um, we had to sell that one and, and then get into a bigger one because we were just kind of growing and, and we needed more space. And so then 
we used a, a broker again to, to secure it. Uh, but when, I, when we refinanced after the five years, then I just did it myself. But I, I personally, I went to this bank and said, what can you offer me? Oh, we'll give you this rate. Then I went over to the next bank across the street and said, hey, they're offering me this. What can you offer me? Oh, we'll give you this. Hey, thanks. They gave me this. What are you going to give me? I eventually, got, I worked it all the way down. Now, nice. I'm not a mortgage broker, not a mortgage specialist. This is just my own experience. Um, I don't know if this is you know, typical, but <clears throat> people want your business. And again, in the best way sense possible, they don't care whether you're indigenous or not. They want to know, are we going to do business with these people? Do the numbers match? It's just, it's just dollars to donuts. And I, I don't know if our people know that. So I would say hire a, a, you know, a good, secure a good realtor, you know, work with a, a reputable mortgage specialist and, and hunt around. Like if people meet with me and they go, oh, um, I'm going to go with somebody else, but then great. So long as you are able to find yourself in a spot where you can sell a home, buy a home, invest in a home, check out a few different mortgage brokers and say, hey, what can you do for me? Right? They are there to work for you. They get paid. You don't pay them. They get paid by these institutions. Yep. So it's not like, oh, crap, I gotta, I'm going to spend 10 grand on this guy. And I'm gonna spend... No, like, and, and in general, even home buying, it's the seller who pays the commission. So it's not the, the buying agent. They don't, they're not, or the, the buyer doesn't pay my commission. It, it's the seller generally uh, who, will, who will pay that commission. So if you're looking to buy, work with a good realtor, you know, find a home inspector that, that, you, that is reputable. And I'm, I'm thankful that now um, that we found a, a, a fellow here when we got into a new home because he was here for about two or three hours, did up like a, a 40 page paper. He went over things and said, he pointed out stuff to tell me you know, I see this here. I don't think it's a big issue, but you should look after that. Yeah. And yeah, so find a good home inspector that's going to actually go through it and, and work with you. Now, a little tip as well. Uh, if you are in a spot where you're going to buy a home and you meet the home inspector on the day of, the realtor shuts up. Like as a realtor, you don't sit there, oh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. It's, no, this is between the inspector and you. So the realtor... We don't say anything. We don't challenge. We don't question. We don't, yeah, but nothing. We just, this is information for you to do with what you want. Again, you are absolutely in the driver's seat. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. And if somebody tries to force you or coerce you or manipulate you or maneuver you to do something you don't want, get out of it. Go to one of these boards and say, Joe Blow Realtor, they were trying to, I hope there's no Joe Blow Realtor. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we Sorry, do Sorry, if your name is Joe Blow, my apologies. <laughs> but yeah, so exactly, there's a little sticker tape across, so, you know, we apologize. So no Joe Blows are hurting the, hurting the report. <laughs> so, but again, you know, you, you are in the driver's seat. And that's, 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 I want that to be the message that people get across. First of all, is it even possible? Can I just sit back and let go of all the reasons and all the excuses and all the patterns and all the cycles and just go, is it possible? I would say, Yes, it is. Now, it's going to take some time to maybe get there. And we talk about disparity. If I'm to work with, let's say, a non-Indigenous person who wants to buy, let's say, generally, I would say you're starting here, right? You're pre-qualified for a mortgage. Um, you know where you want to look. You've got the job. You've got the whatever it is. But when you work with an Indigenous person, you got to start like, like way back here, yeah. right? Let's, let's break the mindset. Let, let's challenge those old patterns. Let's get you into some possibility thinking. Maybe we need to, you know, point in the direction of some, some debt relief or some financial. Like we're starting way back here yeah. to get to here. 
And that is that's just that is the unfortunate unfortunate challenge that there is there is trauma, there's there's dysfunction, there's myth and misunderstandings. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we got to work through. And I, as a realtor, that's not my area of expertise. Yeah. But I want to work with our people to, to get them to that spot where they go, yeah, why not me? Of course I'm gonna. Of course you're gonna invest in real estate. Why wouldn't you invest in real estate? Of course I'm gonna buy home. Like again, all these, you know. Non-indigenous folks coming here or, or just growing up here, they go, "What well, are I going to buy a home? Why wouldn't I buy a home?" Yeah. Well, with our people, it just seems really, I, I don't know, I don't understand it, and 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 what I thought too is, and this is this is a little bit, like I said, I want to come back to that capital mindset. So I was looking out there, going, "Okay, are there grants out there for indigenous people to to get into a home?" So I saw now again, this is just anecdotal evidence. This is just me doing a very unscientific research strategy. Uh, but I saw that the grants, if you live on the reserve, the grants are primarily, you know, home remediation, home recovery, you know, building up that home on the reserve, which it'll make it more livable, hopefully. Um, but again, you're not going to get a return on that investment. Or if you're living off the reserve, the grants are uh, rent subsidies for, for moderate to low income. So I don't, I, and I think those are good things. But I just wonder, is the mindset out there? Hey, we don't expect anything else other than you. Of course, you're going to be low income. Oh, you're native? Of course, you're going to be low income. You're going to be the dregs of society. You're going to be the one. Now, I don't think that's the, the overall thrust of the, the interpretation of, the, of why those grants are there, because there are folks of all walks of life who are moderate to low income. Yep. But when you go, oh, for indigenous grants, oh, it's low income rent subsidies and Remediating your, remediating your home on the reserve. Yeah. And even some of the issues, some of the, the, the websites I looked at and some of the, 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 the nonprofits that are out there, grants are available. You know, one of them was for, for skill development. I was like, oh, okay, that's fantastic. So what are the skills? Uh, construction laborer, um, you know, waiter, right. waitress. Like, what, what about engineer? What about justice of the peace? What about, you know, Thank I remember you. a few years ago, it may have changed. Yeah. A few years ago, no, I was looking not. to go, okay, and, and even I, because I'm looking into it because my daughter is 15. So we're getting into that time where, you know, you're, you're starting to really plan the trajectory of your life. Are you going into trades? Are you going into university? What, what are you doing? And um, so we're looking into that. And, it, and, and I tell, like I, I've had, uh, so I'm, I'm part of the Liberal Party of Canada federally. And they've said, why do all of our Indigenous people talk about um, the NDP? And I said, because the only thing available are things that are union based, you know, construction, things like this. Yeah. And I, I come from a trade unit. Uh, so my, my father is white and he was a unionized boilermaker. So, okay. you know, my, I come really strong from that mindset of uh, get into a trade, you know, work hard, get your pension, get out, right? Like that's his mindset. And, uh, and you're protected by the trade, but then you defend the trade, right? Um, so that's that's kind of his mindset. So, you know, and, and that's a white fellow, that's not even an indigenous fellow. So I, I keep telling uh, the federal government, like um, through this party, but I mean, the federal government is like bigger than that, that really and truly we need to be right, yeah. investing more into post-secondary education. So like I have an auntie who became a lawyer, of an uncle who became a, an engineer. So I have these beautiful examples from, from folks. So I, I never fit into this paradigm of, you know, drunks or drunks, uh, things like this, because I never had that example. I always had 
like professional dead yeah, yeah. uncles and aunties to look to. And then I, I grew up in a white society with my white dad. So like, to me, I always had this example. And, and so I didn't understand where this mindset was coming from, from society, media, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, that that's where I come from. And my daughter, she has all of that. She can choose the world of what she wants to do. I'd love for her to become a real estate agency or, or agent because I know um, you know, colonialism and, and the continuing expansion of uh, these communities are happening. I did run for city council and provincially as well. So, you know, like okay. I, I understand these systems that are working and I, I want I wanted to see more Indigenous inclusion because I do see Indigenous exclusion. And I think that <clears throat> yeah. this message of, um, you know, empowerment that you're giving is so critical. And, I, and that's why I was really excited to see you posting um, on our, you know, Moccasin Telegraph called Facebook and, you know, really wanted yeah, to yeah, encourage yeah. people to hear you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. like I said, too, it, it's, and this is a few years ago, and like I said, if, if these um, documents have changed, that's fine. But it, just even that, that mindset issue. So if you were, let's say, a senior saying, I'm moving from Edmonton, I'm coming to Calgary, what are the resources for seniors? Oh, well, oh, here's the great recreation places for you. Here's the great teams you can join. Here's the great restaurants you can be a part of. Here's the great community that you can move into. Great. If you were, let's say, an, an immigrant moving to Calgary, hey, what are the resources? Well, oh, here's, here's the training. Here's the higher education training. Here's the recreation, some of the same stuff. Hey, I'm an indigenous person moving to Calgary. What are the resources for me? Well, here's the battered women's shelter. Uh, here's the court liaison. Here's the AA. Wait, what? Right, right. No, hey, here's how you can be, you know, plant manager at, uh, you know, at a power plant. Here's how you can be engineer. Here's how you can be an architect. Like, it's just, what are you talking about? Now, these are, in some ways, these, these, are, these are good services. There's no question. Yeah. And again, as I said, like, yes, rent subsidies for Indigenous folks living in moderate to low end. Absolutely. These are great things. But I just wonder if it sends the message that you're here. This is all we expect. So this is where we're going to tailor make you. Yeah. But you're non-indigenous. Oh well. Oh, then the sky's the limit for you. You know, yeah. it just it just doesn't seem like the message is really out there. Yeah. To say, you know, you, you can know, break the ceiling. You can you break are allowed it. Allowed to go. Yeah. Like, just well, and it's not. I, yeah, and I, I, it's it's not just again. There's things that have been done to us. Yeah. But there's also things that we do to ourselves as well. And so, as I spoke with some some folks who shall rename remain nameless, who are a part of certain uh, nations who shall remain nameless. Yeah. But they say too, like, you know, unless your family is chief and council, you kind of get forgotten. You know, uh, there's a bit of uh, a bit of that going on. And totally. And I'll counsel, give a plug you know, to my aunt and uncle. The reason why they got their post-secondary education wasn't because we were ever chief and council kids, but it literally was because my auntie, who <clears> is a lawyer, knew her rights and she fought Indian affairs and she yeah. got her education paid for and i i thought like that's the type of aspiration we should all be going for it's like you know yeah. don't let those be the barriers just do it and keep continuing yeah. your work yeah yeah it, it is and it, it's unfortunate that you know we seem to be stifling our own people right yeah. that uh and that's why a lot of folks leave the the, the the nation is because yeah i can work for let's say public work as a certified trained you know, whatever, and make, you know, $40,000, a year, or I can live off reserve and make, you know, $150,000 a year. Well, where am I going to go? You know right. I mean? So, so it's, yeah. And, and so I guess for me, I just, I just want folks to just begin 
possibility thinking. Yeah. Can I break this? Is it possible? Is it also plausible? Yes, absolutely. And so if you're indigenous and you're watching this or listening to this and you go, well, what can I do? Just have a plan. Just say, it may not happen today. It may be something that you go, you know, that's part of my five-year plan. I'm going to get my debt service. I'm going to fix up my credit, find and secure a decent job. I'm going to work on hopefully growing up that, that ladder. It may involve it, whatever it is, get your finances in order, I guess. Sure. Right. So, but the steps would be, so if you wanted to buy a home, you, you find a realtor that you like, uh, they go over what's called the consumer relationships guide, which will outline all of the relationships that you can enter into. If you like this agent, you sign a contract for them to become your, your buying agent. They get all of your information and they say, okay, where do you want to look? What big of a house? What size of a house? Now, like for us, and I think most people, what I, they, what I call stair steps, you know, into a, into a bigger and bigger home. Like you may not, like I couldn't jump into a $4 million home right now. I wouldn't even be qualified for it. Sure. But we bought a home here. Great. Got a little equity, got a little bigger home. You know, maybe we'll, I was tempted to cash in on the hot selling market that just happened, but we didn't. Um, you know, and then you just kind of, you just kind of, you know, stair step your way to the, to the big home. So, so, but then as a realtor, I would start looking uh, based on your parameters of what you're looking for. Yeah. Not what I think you need, but to go, what do you want? Yeah. And I spoke with a fellow who just said, you know what, $100,000. Great. Fantastic. That's the starting place. Yeah. $100,000 now, maybe in a couple of years, maybe $200,000, maybe in a, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but we would start looking. If you find a place that you like, let's, let's put an offer out there. You've already been pre-qualified. So let's, let's put an offer out there and see if they, if they accept it. As a, as a buying agent, it's my responsibility to try and negotiate the lowest possible price. Yep. for this home now of course across the door or <laughs> the selling agent wants to get the highest possible price so that's the the negotiation but um yep. but yeah and if they accept it then yeah then we put a deposit down and uh just wait for the wait for the time to come for you to move into your new home new home so it it really isn't that complicated uh, Honestly, and people, Jason. Do every, people do it every day yeah i can't um, thank you just, enough for like you know inspiring and talking about this i would love for you to come on anytime especially if, it, if yeah. you have something new uh, to, that you want to add, uh, want to continue this dialogue, because I, I just, um, I'm hoping people will listen, send us questions. I'll send them to you, obviously, and um, hopefully, you know, inspire a few more people. Wouldn't it be great in yeah. five years if we're having a conversation to how about how many Indigenous people are now homeowners? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Well, and just to put a little plug, I know we're probably over time here, but just sure. I, I will be at the Indian Nation um, at our powwow at the end of the month. And I'm just working with the organizers now to cover the time where we can have a, an actual in-person workshop seminar uh, just to talk about all the stuff we've been talking about. I'm going to be handing out some resources. I've got a, a presentation that I'm going to show and uh, hopefully generate. I, I do want to keep hitting up uh, the other nations here in Treaty 7 territory because that's kind of my my area. Um, yep. so I want to go to Mexico. I want to go to Kainai. I want to go to Tutina, uh, Sona Nakoda. But um, so I want to start presenting these sessions out there to hopefully, again, the biggest idea is just possibility thinking. Just to yes. say, there is no cap. There is no roof on what you can do. The, the sky's limit uh, for non-Indigenous and for Indigenous. And let's just let's just go for these dreams.
Mm, thank you. Thank you, Jason. I so appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And, and yeah, I'm glad you gave the plug for the Bagani powwow. I think I'm going to be there, actually. So hope I can meet you in right. face to face and, um, you know, go from there. So thank you for coming on the show. And again, anything that you want us to plug, let me know. I share everybody's stuff um, if they if they right. want me to. I'm starting to get people getting a little Oh, you can't just share my stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I think it's positive <laughs> to share, but I'm going to share it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do yeah. it. No, yeah, thanks so much, Jason. No, so I'm going to do Thank my you. closing, and uh, you're welcome to chime in as uh, you you may hear what I'm talking about. You know, um, I also want to give a plug out to Kim Siever. He has a podcast, um, Alberta Worker. So uh, today he actually published one of my my background with with my dad and be growing up in a union house. So I highly recommend it. Uh, tonight is the book club. We're going to be working on uh, chapters three and four of volume one A for the National Inquiry. And then August, we have Unreconciled by Jen Jesse Wente, and he agreed to be on our show, so or our, our book club. So I sure hope you consider sending me a message, and I'll give you the Zoom link so you can join us. Um, uh, and lastly, the Reconciliation Action Group. You know, obviously, the more people that join it, the more we can do. But if people don't want to do the work of reconciliation, this is going to take a long, long time. So if you're motivated to do work of reconciliation, consider joining the reconciliation action group so that we can start focusing on this. And, you know, this is for everyone. Um, I really am inspired by Jason saying what one person can do because it is true. Um, you know, we've moved the dialogue on reconciliation huge thanks to the you know, testimony of so many of our elders and this new generation coming up saying, hey, we're just not putting up with this anymore. So like, I really encourage you to consider joining the Reconciliation Action Group and doing the work, you know, because we, we just need to start working together for equity at the end of the day. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them uh, here to help.bc.ca has a link on Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. So thank you authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Friedkin for doing that work. Their work are action, cultural action tools that I've said hundreds of times in this podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight them here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of uh, violence Indigenous and marginalized people experienced by the structure of racism imposed. So Donna Bevins has some good resources on what is internalized racism. And ironically, Jason and I kind of spoke about it in a lot of ways by, you know, creating barriers that aren't there. Uh, so that's a little more of what internalized racism is. But of course, structural racism is a different cat. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So this is at AFSC.org, where they have information about uh, what to do when you see or experience racism. If you're in Alberta, you can actually report it at acttoendracism.ca at text at 587-507-3838. This was an initiative really started by uh, the Asian community that was seeing a rise in racism due to the pandemic. So I applaud them and always want to work with them the best way I can. Uh, Indigenous men talking about these issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. 
listen to politicians and their uh, policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized with their budget of gender equity plus, if they're cutting uh, violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, cutting uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice by the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the just justice, educational, media, and health institutions with multiple reports that say that demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, online clubs, etc. Um, and I say that because I witnessed today um, a, a mother whose child went missing. Uh, she had worked with the police and yet one of the major platforms, social media platforms still wouldn't share that missing person's report. Uh, the child has been found, everything's okay. But the point is, is that our own non-Indigenous community members are still becoming the barriers in their own little world of social media. So please hold all of these organizations to account because we cannot have um, reconciliation without these truths and without us all actively working at dismantling that. Um, the truth before truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies, is that's a really great um, reading, but there's so many new ones. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have uh, hopeforwellness.ca where you can um, have a little chat box there. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is a toll-free 24-7 crisis call line. Um, here locally, you can call Awuton for non-Indigenous. There are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. If you're a 60 Scoop uh, member, you can also join the Indigenous Society of Alberta, which is SSISA.ca. And if you're part of the LGBTQ2 community, you know, there are tons of supports for you at the lifevoice.ca because you all matter to us. Um, there is a trans lifeline in Canada, 877-330-6366, the Trevor Project at 866 844-7386 for our youth. Um, I just can't stress enough that uh, abs there's um, there are resources in Alberta as much as I don't agree that they're useful, but I wanted to emphasize if you are using substances, do not use them alone. If you are losing, uh, using alone, you can call the National Overdose Response Service at 1-888-688 NORS for support, or there are new apps that are available. So there's a Brave app and there's a DORS app. And these ones will help you if you are using a loan because we don't want to lose you. Um, we want to get you the services that you rightfully are owed um, after some of the trauma been imposed on you. Jason and I, lucky enough to work through some of that stuff. 
but our journey is ongoing and we're doing positive, productive things. You can too, never give up. Um, violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, this podcast, and it's how I take my power back. Um, I like to be able to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my opinion, but sure want to tell me theirs, even though they may not know the things that I know. Um, I talk about the, you know, constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigil, and our rights, and unpack colonialism in every episode. Um, I and many others share information on microaggressions daily, so it's unacceptable to uh, say you don't understand them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping, um, lots of issues that we're constantly working through. And I want other folks to feel like, you know, they're seen, they're heard, and that you can move forward. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny and my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her. I am a second generation proud Calgarian. And I want to say Masi Cho, big buffalo rock man. And, you know, this is uh, my husband. He's produced, edited the show. He's been my childhood friend, my father of our child, and my support down this journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of sex sexism and, and racism that I've faced. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from every day and we are honored you chose us. Um, you give me daily accountability to be a better, stronger person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future, trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. My patron account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts, podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I wanna end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not traditional. My beautiful cousin would respond or you'd be in my dish thank you so much folks for listening thank you jason for being on my show